Father God, Lord, Lord, I've, I've prayed over these students already several times this evening, God, asking you, Lord, to do what only you can do, Lord, and that's transform hearts. Uh, nothing that I say is able to do anything apart from your spirit. And so we ask of your spirit to do what only it can do, Lord, and that's to draw us near, to change our ways of thinking, Lord, and to align ourselves with your Son. God, we ask all of that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, it's good to be back. I've already mentioned we've been going a couple weeks, and um, summer's been crazy, right? I don't know about y'all guys at Agape, but it's been crazy for us. We've just been running and gunning. We've been on several trips. We've just like event after event after event. Uh, I think my summer without school, considering I graduated last semester, has been busier than when I was in school and doing ministry at the same time. It's been crazy. It's been absolutely crazy. I wouldn't be able to do it without the people that support us, without you guys, and definitely without uh, Tyler and Shay. Super thankful for them. Um, we're coming from Philippians again tonight, and I just want to talk about that for just a second for because I know not all of us are uh, members here. Our, uh, every Wednesday, uh, comers of the Light Room, because you have your own church, which is awesome. I love your church. But we are coming from Philippians, and we started a series, it seems like, you know, a year ago now. But it's been a couple months called Prison Talk. And what we're doing is we're just slowly walking through the book of Philippians, which if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Um, we're just slowly walking through Philippians. We're just seeing what the Lord has to say for us. I was talking to somebody the other day. They were asking me how they should... Uh, start a Bible reading plan. And I said, uh, if I could advise you of the best advice, don't skip around. Read through. We don't want to, I mean, hey, there's a time for topical stuff, but we don't want to skip around, all right? Where, what's the Bible say about love, okay? Well, let's read the Bible from, not the, let's read a book of the Bible from beginning to end. So if you don't have a book to read, I would highly suggest you start with John chapter 1 and read it to its completion. But tonight we're talking about Philippians, back to what I was going to say. Uh, we're, we started this series called Prison Talk. And you're like, Prison Talk? Or aren't we in church? Yes. It's a good observation. We are in church. But this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi was written from a jail cell. As a matter of fact, um, and this might be uh, repetitive to our students, but Paul wrote this letter from jail. And what's crazy about this letter is that the theme of it is joy. Joy. He wrote it from jail. If that don't give you enough, like, <gasps> gasp worthiness, he had been um, persecuted since the beginning of his ministry. He started his ministry off having to be let down through the walls of a city in a basket because people were coming for him. Right? He had been uh, in jail, he had been beaten, he had been stoned. He got shipwrecked, I think, three different times. Um, and at one occurrence where the Jewish leaders were trying to kill him, the only reason he didn't die is because he was arrested by the Romans. She said, man, had a little run of bad luck, right? Might call it God's sovereignty. But uh, he did have a run of bad luck in our eyes. But he was arrested by those Romans. Four years after that arrest, he wrote this letter. And the theme of it is joy. 
Isn't that mind blowing? That that a man in the midst of terrible circumstances can find himself saying, "But for Christ in me, <laughs> I take joy. I take joy." Well, tonight we are going to continue with that series, and we're starting off with Philippians two. I forgot to bring over my little illustration, which I'm going to do that right now. Got a heavy chair. pun it's a very bad joke um tonight we're gonna start off with philippians 2 and what i want to do by that is to get you thinking right i want to get you thinking in the way and what impression does this give off well i mean obviously i use them all the time it's not funny it's not funny don't laugh at that (laughs) obviously i use them all the time uh having these dumbbells they 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 give off the impression that i train that I do stuff physically in an attempt to become stronger. That's, that's the impression that it gives off. But what if there was dust on them? And it implied that I have not used them in a while. What if I never got any stronger? Never had any substantial growth, any change to my physical appearance. You would say that they're just useless. They have no need. It's just a paperweight. very A 25-pound paperweight. That they are not being used. But I would like to ask you, isn't this how we treat our Bible? I see you sometimes with it. On Sundays and on Wednesdays, seeing that gives me the impression that you put it to use. But what about every other day? Does it just kind of sit on your bedside table and collect dust? Or do you keep it in your Bible so that way you can use it whenever you go? Keep it in your backpack, rather. So you can use it wherever you go. Is it being used? Or is it just something to bear some type of image? To look some type of way, to fall into this category of this is what I do on this day, so this is what I'm going to do. Paul, in our text tonight, he he talks to this church in Philippi about working out your salvation. He probes them to push forward in their obedience even after he is no longer with them. But I believe that proves genuine passion, genuine loyalty. It's like this. If, if you're at home and your mom's there with you, you're only going to watch certain things. But when your mom leaves, we pick up the controller and we change it to exactly what we are not supposed to be watching. Hey, man, I've been 15 years old before and, and not following Christ, Right? Um, hey, they left South Park. <laughs> exactly what I'm not supposed to watch. Okay? That's, that's what I would do. What proves our faithfulness, though, what proves our faithfulness is what we do when we're not being watched. You see, anyone can be loyal while they're being watched. But what proves our faithfulness and our, or our genuineness or the falseness of that faithfulness It's what we do when no one is looking. You see, Paul was talking about that to the Philippians, and we're about to read. Who are you when no one is with you, is a question I would like you to ponder. Who are you when you are alone? Most importantly, who you are when no one is with you will most likely tell you whose you are. You tracking? Let's read some scripture and see what Paul has to say about this. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, 
So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Guys, the single most important thing for us to know is to know that we are children of God. To know that we can stand before God and be declared justified by the works of Christ, not our works. That's the single most important thing, and Paul knew this. Paul knew this, and that's why he gave us this command to those that proclaim Christ as their Savior, for them to work it out, to work it out with fear and trembling. So tonight, I want to, you could title this message as Work It Out. And I want us to see what Paul is talking about when he's referring to working out this salvation, to to growing in your faith, to not being uh, uh, somebody who is one way when people are looking and another way when somebody else is looking, but instead to be loyal to the cause. And the first thing about that is being obedient. For obedience is a key sign of bearing the name of child of God. For obedience is not just for being seen. We mentioned earlier, if you have, if you see I have these dumbbells, that does not mean I'm an obedient person to work it out. Just because you see I have that. Even if you see me pick it up once a week. See, we like to, we like to, uh, uh, to make obedience on Sunday equivalent to being a Christian. And that's just not the case. If I do something one hour a week, does that make it my life? That does not make it my life. If I do something one hour a week, I'm pretty much ignorant of that thing. Incorporating my passion, whatever that passion may be, and whatever you enjoy into my life, into the entirety of my life, causes me to know, causes me to know more about that thing, to be better at doing that thing, and to enjoy sharing that thing with other people. If I practice soccer one hour a week, which is one hour more than I do now, I'll still be in the same position that I'm at now. Sucky, right? Really, really terrible at soccer. Um, I love technology. We might be stuck on this screen because my, my thing just messed up. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but if I practice, if I take the time, I, I, I watch videos and I read things about specific skills, I go and I, I learn from somebody else that has more um, experience, more time invested into that skill, then I will myself get better at that skill. I will do much better because I've become obedient to that passion. I'm doing what I'm called to do. And all of you, you love something. You love a type of sport, baseball, soccer, football, whatever it might be, games. I don't know what all you like. You like something. But if you like it, you invest your time into it. I love hunting, right? If I just go out... Opening day of bow season this year, no preparation, don't sight my bow in, don't shoot before I go, don't uh, uh, plant any, uh, yeah, you, I see, don't plant any uh, ryegrass or anything like that, or if you're from South Mississippi, put corn out. <laughs> if you, I don't do any of that, I just go out there and get in a tree, man, you would call me uh, probably dumb. Because I didn't put the time in. I didn't invest my time into that thing. So why would I expect me to be any type of good at it? You see, when we talk about these skills like soccer or football or hunting or something like that, how much more obedient 
Should we, how much more should we invest our time in the things of the Lord? Like obedience is more than just what others see. You see, I see what you do here. I see what you do here on Wednesdays and Sundays. But what I want is what Paul said, man. He's like, look, uh, when I'm away, like even more in my absence, keep doing these things. I see what you do here. But what I want to do is hear about what you do when I'm not around you. I want to hear that, man, you know that kid you got in your youth group? You know what they did last week? Or, you know, my kid, he used to complain all the time when I asked him to do chores. But now, he just does them. He sees some growth. That's what I want to hear about. I mean, I could see what you're doing here, but seeing what you're doing here does not prove the genuineness of your faith. Working that out and doing things outside of here. Let me hear about that. That's what I want to hear about. Secondly, in regards to working it out, assurance. Assurance of one's salvation is top priority. Assurance is knowing whose you are. It's, it's, the, it's, it's creating clarity about your faith. But the lack of assurance, if, the, if, if assurance creates clarity, the lack of assurance creates confusion. My desire in teaching you guys is to create as much clarity as possible. Not confusion. As a matter of fact, those that help me out, Shay, Tyler, Darren, man, I tell them, look, we are in the business of clearing the waters. I mean, everybody muddies the waters. They just confuse things. They make things look this way. Or you got to do this, this, and this. But no, no, let's come and let's bring some practical material to these students and let's clear the waters. I told them that at camp, right? We don't want to confuse things. We want to clarify things. You see, when we are sure of our salvation, the waters of our faith, they're, they're no longer muddy. They're clear. We know whose we are when we are sure of our salvation. Paul tells us to work it out with fear and trembling. But what does he mean by this? He means that the assurance of our salvation is, is very important. They use the words fear and trembling, man. It is super important. It's life and death. It's, it's, it's to be taken seriously. And to take it even further, which he does, it's eternal life. To be assured of your salvation is to know that what comes, come what may, I will be with Jesus forever. I will. Whether I'm here on earth and I'm here in his presence on earth, or I'm in his presence in heaven, come what may, I'm with him. But to not be assured of that, man, that should make you tremble yourself. Not in a way of scaring you, but in a way of, I, I need to know. He says, work it out. Know that you know that you know that you are with Christ. John says this, and he spells it out like this in First uh, John 5. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. John's giving us the business right here. He's telling it like it is. And that's a good thing. We need to know how it is. It's, it's an either or situation in this situation. A lot of times in life, things may be both and. But, but John lays it out here, and it's either or. 
You either have Christ or you don't. He wraps, he wraps up the heart of what I have tonight, though. All right? He wraps up the heart of what I have tonight, and that's to do this, not to scare you, but instead to assure you. He's not, the, the, we might misinterpret the language of what he's saying as, as trying to scare you to choose Christ. But instead, he's trying to assure you, man, know who you belong to. Know who you belong to. The last thing I want to do is try to scare you into choosing Christ. Because, man, in my opinion, if that is where your profession of faith comes from, you've got a long way to go. My desire and my teaching is to show you what you're missing when you don't choose Christ. To show you, man, if you just really looked at how you do things, and then you really think you can trust in yourself, man, I can't trust in myself. I need to trust in Christ. I, I have to. to. To lay it out what He has done for you, Regardless of the things that you've done to him in a negative way, all the times that maybe you have not taken the opportunity to say, yeah, I believe in Christ. Or maybe you were like me and said, I don't believe in that fairy tale stuff. Except I would probably not use such good language as stuff. Maybe you've been that way. Hey man, that's the life that I came from. That's the life that I came from, but he says, man, you know, even knowing you were going to do these things, that you would turn your back on me, that you would deny me, all these things, he said that even though you would do those things, he demonstrates his love for you, that while we would be in that sin, he would die for us. Man, when you express that type of language to a person, that's not scaring them to choose Christ, that's giving them the clarity of Christ and saying, choose now, life or death. That is the choice that you have. I love the, the language and the way that he puts this. John puts this that's behind me right here. It's like, I like to think of it as like if you were, or your grandfather or something like that, a person on their deathbed was uh, at the hospital, not talking much. And you know what they say is going to be of pivotal importance. And he says, come. Home. And you get close so that way you can hear the soft tone of his voice. That's what I like to think about when John's saying this. He's like, those that have Christ have life. Life. And if you don't have Christ, you do not have life. That's what his important last words are. That you may be assured that you may know Christ. Some signs of this assurance that we can look at and kind of compare our life to those things. This is not an exhaustive list, but just some things that I jotted down that I wouldn't want to bring up but as, as, a, as a desire for God. Man, you can tell that, that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you if you desire for God. If you desire for God, I, I like to think of this as connecting zeal and knowledge, connecting your heart and your mind when, you, when we're talking about a desire for God. You see, so many people have head knowledge 
right? They've been taught the Bible their whole life. They can repeat scriptures to you. They know John 3.16, but they don't have Jesus in their heart. And some people, they get so wound up over emotive things that they, they're just fine and content with having this emotional heart feel, but they don't know scripture and can't connect their mind with their heart. God wants us to give him our, what do you say, love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? He wants to connect those things. When we connect our heart and our mind together in a direct way to God, man, he will fill you with so much more knowledge than you will ever begin to imagine. And you know what's so beautiful about that? As our knowledge of the Lord grows, so does our love. So does our love for the Lord and the things of the Lord. Another sign of that assurance is a desire for people to know God. It's just sick to you. You get sick at your stomach when you think about people who, who don't know God. I get sick to my stomach when I think about friends of mine who, who might not know Jesus. And I have to do something about that. Do I always? No. But a good way to do that, guys, invite them to your church. Invite them to youth group at Agape. Invite them to youth group at the Lightroom. Invite them to church. Let the gospel be given to them. Thirdly, conviction about wrongdoings. Conviction about wrongdoings. These are signs of assurance, right? That when we have convictions about the things that we do that is opposite of what God has for us, and we know, right? The Bible calls it godly sorrow. The Bible says that godly sorrow brings forth repentance. And lastly, a pursuit of godliness. To be more like Jesus. Not to pursue perfection so Jesus will love you, but to pursue Jesus for just being Jesus. Pursuit of godliness. And the last point, I can't talk about uh, uh, assurance of salvation without talking about salvation in itself. And that is the gift from God. You see, Paul says in Ephesians that we are saved by grace through faith. You see, being a person that likes to control the outcome can cause you to think wrongly about salvation. And I know as a guy that that is like hard to fight. We want to make sure, we want to control things. We want it to be this way. And when we think about things that way, especially about our faith that way, we can think wrongly about salvation. You see, we're, we're given a decision when drawn to God, but that decision does not make you the important factor. Think of it this way. Your name's entered into a raffle to win a car. Okay? Uh, the vehicle's paid for already. You won't have to pay anything if you win it. You didn't even have to pay for the raffle ticket. It was given to you. And so the raffle comes to its conclusion, right? Guess what? You win. You win the new car. The company calls you and says, just come by, pick up the car. It's yours. This, this car is yours. You can come get it. The name's been drawn. It's yours. But you're given that decision. Do I stay or do I go? Now, I don't know a single individual in this world that would say, ah, forget it. I don't need a new car. I don't need a new car. I don't know a single person in this world that would say no to that. But there are people who turn down God every day. There are people who turn down the best of all gifts 
every day who say the loss is not worth the reward. The risk is not worth the return. Ah, what will people think of me? You mean I can't go and get drunk on weekends? Right? We, we think of things in, in, in worldly manners like that, and we think, oh, it's not worth it. You see, the single most important gift in the world is to be known by God. I said that earlier, and yet we say no to him constantly. Listen to the rich young ruler. He, he, Jesus says that when he saw him, he had compassion in his heart. He loved him. And he said, what can I do to follow you? And he said, you know what you need to do. And he says, well, there's one more thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And that economic mindset started playing in his mind, right? Risk and reward. And to that man, the reward was not worth the risk. He was given an opportunity. The Lord knew what his heart was fixated on, and that was his money. And he said, if you just get rid of that, man, you can fill your heart with me. And the guy said, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. See, I believe we say no so often because we don't understand the message. The message of the gospel. I guess upon hearing that message and that being revealed to us that someone begins to be drawn to the Lord. That person is given an opportunity, just like that rich young ruler, to say yes or no. But I want to say the best part about this good news and it might sound offhanded at first. And that's that you're not good enough and will never be good enough to earn God's grace. You're like, well, that doesn't sound like good news. Let me elaborate on that for a second. God does not ask you to be perfect and then choose Him. That's backwards. He does not ask you to be perfect and then choose Him. He asks you to let Him into your imperfections because the only thing that is perfect is Him. The only thing that's perfect is Christ. So let him into your imperfections. Let the Messiah into your mess and see what kind of fruit you begin to bear because of that decision. If we're honest with ourselves, then we would really see how beautiful this gospel message is. For it's up to me to make things right. If it's up to me to be perfect, then excuse my language, I'm screwed. <laughs> I know how I act. I know my imperfections. I know my decision-making skills. And if it's up to me to make sure I'm perfect to earn some type of love, man, I am screwed. <laughs> For sure enough. And I believe you. This is not bad news. If you look at your heart, you see your decision-making skills, you see the type of things that you've done, then you would say, man, I, I can't bear that weight. And I would say, well, let me tell you about some good news. You don't have to bear that weight. You don't have to depend on your own abilities. For that weight of that will only break you. It will cause you to be shameful. It will cause you to run away from what could really only ever give you hope, and that's Jesus, because you had your faith in a, in a gospel contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your faith was not in the biblical gospel if you think it's dependent on you. And so if we think our faith is dependent on us, 
When we screw up, we abandon ship. But it's upon knowing that God's gospel is dependent on himself. That the weight that you can't bear, it's okay that he's already bared it. He has already taken that weight. He did it through the cross. He took every bit of nastiness that you'll ever do, and he took it for you, knowing that you would still do it. Knowing that you would still do it. You see, Jesus didn't die on a cross because he wants perfection from you. Jesus died on the cross because he is perfection. You can never be that, and that's good news. Because you look at yourself and you see, that's true. I can't be that guy. But good thing there was a Savior that died for me that was that guy. But my, ask, my question to you is that is he that in your life? Is he that person in your life? Or have you banked everything off the fact that you've got to be perfect? I ask you tonight, man, leave here tonight with a different mindset. To accept him. And all he is worth. If he's drawing you to him tonight and you know it because I believe your heart will feel like it's going to explode, you need to talk to somebody. Colossians 2, and we're ending here. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, And you, I want, to think, I want, you, to, I want you to just think for a second. You. He's talking to the church in Colossians, but he's talking to you. And you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. What he means is your sin has you dead. Think back to John. Those that have Christ have life. Those that do not have Christ do not have life. What's the opposite of life? Death. You were dead in your sin. But God, who? Not me. Cade can't make Cade alive. I, you can't make yourself alive. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses. He, and he made us alive by how? Forgiving us of our trespasses. But how did he do that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And he did that by nailing it to the cross. My question to you is, will you allow your record to be canceled? Will you allow him to be Lord in your life? Will you say yes to Jesus and no to yourself? Will you have the assurance of your salvation that we spoke about tonight? If you've never made that commitment, I pray you do tonight. I want to leave you with the scripture from 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Right? For he says, In a favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't think to yourself, I feel the Lord pulling me, uh, but I really would like to get through high school first. I've really got some more fun to do. Because let me tell you right now, when you get out of high school, you'll say, well, well, maybe after college. Right? If you've got that mindset, you will never make that decision. 
If the Lord draws you to himself, I ask you, shake the dust off your Bible. Pick the weight up and work it out. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for who you are. Father God, Lord, I pray that if somebody in this place tonight did not know you, does not know you, that tonight would be a different night for them. That they would come talk to one of us leaders. That they would let us know that, that the Lord did something in my heart tonight. And all I can, all I can say is it was super. I don't understand. I, I thought I knew who he was, but now I know. I've heard about him. My parents talk about him. But now I know him. I pray, Lord, if that's somebody tonight, that they would talk to somebody, Lord. Lord, all we want to do is be able to give you glory and worship you, Lord. I pray we would continue to do that, Lord, in the way that we walk. In Jesus' name.